Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smizer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Paseo Podcast to keep up with us. If you want to follow me, I am at JS De Leon on Twitter. You can also pitch a story or volunteer with the podcast by reaching out to us on our website, paseomedia.org. We also launched a new YouTube channel. If you, you know, you want to listen or watch the interview portions of our episodes, just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. And while you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. Our current goal is to get to 100 subscribers, so help us out. For this week's episode, we're taking a trip across the pond to London's Puerto Rican diaspora with our guest, Naomi Bonafu. She holds a few hats, but on top of being a part of the Puerto Rican community in London, she's also an activist and an actress. We're going to talk about why she left Puerto Rico for London, the struggle of trying to find a job in a new country, how she's navigated the pandemic as a single mother, the moment that brought Puerto Ricans in London together, and a whole lot more. But before we get into the interview, we've said this on the show before, but as a reminder, Puerto Ricans do not have solely European ancestry. Regardless of what Boricuas who embrace the concept of whiteness would have you believe, Puerto Ricans have both indigenous and African roots. So, in honor of Black History Month, I wanted to share some thoughts from a popular Insta post from atabe.rev on the black history of Puerto Rico. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes if you'd like to read it word for word. Going back to 1492, the Taino people lived on an island they named Borincan, a.k.a. the land of the valiant warrior. The next year, Spanish colonizers arrived and efforts to settle began by the early 1500s. War, disease, and forced labor led to the rapid decline of the Tainos. According to history, that decline represented over 3 million Tainos. Let that sink in here. 3 million Tainos, which at that time would have accounted for about 85% of the Taino population, which was about 3.5 million in the Caribbean. So to replace indigenous labor, Africans were kidnapped, enslaved, and transported to the island. And by the island, I mean Puerto Rico. Through the 17th and 18th century, escaped enslaved people settled in other parts of La Isla in places like present-day Loisa and San Juan. Spanish policies like the 1815 Cedola de Gracias offered white immigrants land and other incentives to immigrate to the island and even encouraged the ownerships of slaves. In an effort to whiten the population and prioritize the Spanish-European national identity, the 1848 punitive racist laws, such as El Bando Contra la Raza Africana, attempted to control the behavior of black people, and this is all out of fear of rebellions. By the 19th century, many advocates of abolition and independence were exiled or incarcerated. Revolutionaries who were exiled like Ramon Imiterio Betances continued advocating for freedom, mainly in cities like New York. 
At the time, Cubans and Puerto Ricans in the U.S. became allies and worked together to fight Spanish rule. A number of slave uprisings took place on La Isla throughout the century, including El Grito de Lares, which was an armed rebellion in 1868. We also did an episode on that, uh, just a brief little rundown of what El Grito de Lares is, so definitely go back and, and listen to that episode if you'd like to learn more. Not so fun fact, though. Slavery was not abolished in Puerto Rico until 1873. That's a whole eight years after it was abolished here in the United States. In 1898, the U.S. invaded Puerto Rico. U.S. imperialism perpetuated racial hierarchy, discrimination, white superiority, and the exploitation of the working class. Due to economic, social, and political factors, many Puerto Ricans migrated primarily to the U.S. during the following decades. As a result of this migration, the New York Puerto Rican community became an important source of support, aid, and advocacy. In opposition to U.S. colonialism, the 20th century saw the rise of the National Party led by Afro-Puerto Rican leader Pedro Albizu Campos, known as El Maestro, a.k.a. The Teacher. We actually have a high school here on Paseo Boricua named after him. In 1950, the party led a series of armed revolts against the U.S. The revolution led to the bombing of two towns by U.S. planes, mass arrests, and the death and disappearance of hundreds of Puerto Ricans. In the 1960s and 70s, the Puerto Rican liberation movement in the U.S. addressed the effects of racism, imperialism, and colonialism. There was a Chicago-Puerto Rican riot in 1966 that was a direct response to segregation, racial discrimination, and oppression. Organizations like the Young Lords, founded right here in Chicago, developed to promote social change and foster a sense of solidarity within the community. As I said before at the top of the show, regardless of what Boricuas who embrace the concept of whiteness would have you believe, the legacy of Puerto Rico's African heritage is present in its culture and identity to this day. Whether that's through the sounds of bomba and plena, the taste of mofongo and pasteles, in our language and names, Afro-Puerto Ricanos in both the island and in the U.S. continue the fight towards equality and liberation. So when someone talks about being Puerto Rican as being separate from BIPOC, let them know that the pages in our history books may be white, but our people and our culture are far from that. There's actually a really fascinating documentary by Boricua journalist Natasha Alford that I highly recommend you go watch. It's titled Afro-Latinx Revolution, Puerto Rico. And uh, you can actually watch the full thing for free on YouTube. In this original documentary, Natasha traveled to Loiza, Puerto Rico, uh, during the 2019 summer of political unrest, where protesters ousted the then governor of PR, Ricardo Rosselló. She interviews local residents, scholars, and historians to help tell the story of an Afro-Latinx revolution, and with Latin America and the Caribbean receiving 95% of the Africans stolen during the transatlantic slave trade, she tries to help answer the questions of what does it mean to be a descendant of Africans today in a world where more voices are calling out racism in Latin America? Do Afro-Puerto Ricans face similar struggles with policing, discrimination, and economic inequality as Black Americans outside of La Isla? And why do some Black Latinos call themselves Afro-Latinx? And why do some others dislike the term? 
So I'll make sure to include the link to that documentary in the show notes for you all uh, so you can watch it after you listen to this episode. In lighter but related news, San Benito himself, aka Bad Bunny, fulfilled a lifelong dream by performing his single, Booker T, at the WWE Royal Rumble pay-per-view and even got in on the action during the Royal Rumble match itself, which uh, we actually shared a clip of on our Twitter and Facebook, so definitely go check that out. I always enjoyed watching wrestling growing up, and the Royal Rumble was a big favorite of mine. Now, I fell off in adulthood after learning how wrestlers were treated. If you don't know, um, they're actually treated as independent contractors. So what that means, without getting into too much detail, because Google exists, so definitely Google what an independent contractor is, that basically means that the wrestlers that work for wrestling organizations, uh, particularly World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, they have little to no rights as workers. So, you know, maybe once there's a, a wrestler's union, I'll jump back in. But that's a totally different topic and not why I'm bringing this up today. If you listen to Bad Bunny's latest album, you'll see a song on there called Booker T. It's a dope song if you haven't heard it yet. Bad Bunny also dropped a music video for it too, so you can watch and listen to it in between watching Paseo podcast videos on our channel. But I want to focus less on Bad Bunny's performance at the Royal Rumble and more on the former wrestler he named the song after, Booker T. Now, who is Booker T? I'll tell you. He is one of the most important black figures in professional wrestling. He has a ton of accomplishments and is a trailblazer. He's one of the most decorated wrestlers in World Championship Wrestling history, holding a total of 21 title reigns, including a record six WCW World Television title reigns, which he was the first black wrestler to win. Hang tight, all you non-wrestling fans. I'm about to give you a big download on a ton of facts, so just fair warning. That was just one of them. Here's some more. He had 11 WCW World Tag Team Championship reigns, which was a record. He went on to have three more tag team championships in WWE. He was the final WCW World Heavyweight Champion and WCW United States Champion in WCW before they were acquired by World Wrestling Entertainment. He won the King of the Ring Tournament in 2006 where he took on the name King Booker. And he has held a total of six world titles, five WCW World Heavyweight Championships, and one WWE World Heavyweight Championship, becoming the first non-mixed black wrestler to become a world champion in WWE. When all was said and done for his in-ring career, Booker T left in-ring competition as the 16th Triple Crown Champion in WWE, its 8th Grand Slam Champion, and one of eight men to be a Triple Crown Champion in both WWE and WCW. Needless to say, Booker T is that dude. Like I said before, Bad Bunny performed the song Booker T at this pay-per-view with Booker T, just like in his music video. WWE cameras actually caught up with the wrestling legend after his performance with Bad Bunny. WWE cameras actually caught up with the wrestling legend after his performance with Bad Bunny. Here's what he had to say about the performance, Bad Bunny, and the Booker T single. Oh man, I guess it started a long time ago. Uh, you know, Benito, Bad Bunny being a uh, big fan of professional wrestling, uh, being a big fan of Booker T coming up the King Booker era um, as well. Um, just wanted me to be a part, you know, the video, um, you know, create the song about Booker T, uh, you know, me being a king, him being a king, and 
two, you know, two guys, a uh, tag team, a um, uh, uh, tag team that can't lose the way I look at it. But it, it's pretty awesome, more important than anything, because for me, uh, Bad Bunny being such a young guy, me being a guy that's been in this business for so long, it lets me know that um, I did uh, the work. I, I fought the good fight, and, uh, and that's what it's about, uh, coming out, entertaining the fans. And at one moment in time, hopefully, someone like Bad Bunny will keep you relevant in the game. So uh, definitely uh, a great moment for me. On uh, two last quick notes before we get into the interview, wanted to share that the next Puerto Rican Agenda meeting is this Saturday at 8.30 a.m. So please join in. Uh, I'm a member of the Puerto Rican Agenda. There's a lot of good work that comes out of that organization. Uh, it's actually open to everyone and uh, the meeting's held virtually. So uh, definitely you know, be a part of it if you can, um, even if it's just to, to listen in. If you can't make it, I'll be live tweeting it on my Twitter feed, at JS De Leon. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard a few episodes where we've talked about the WEPA pop-ups that took place on Paseo Boricua as a way to promote, develop, and encourage people to support local Latina artists and businesses. It's had quite the evolution since this initiative started, and now it's going by the name Mercado del Pueblo. And it's actually in a building this time. So no more braving the Chicago weather outside for those that participate and shop there. Chicago Tonight recently did a feature on the Mercado del Pueblo uh, that I will make sure to link in the show notes if you want to see the whole clip and read the article. Um, but here's a clip from that segment. Fair warning that uh, this reporter did not try at all to pronounce these Spanish words. Here we go. Coyasso is now one of more than a dozen small businesses operating out of a new space called Mercado del Pueblo on Paseo Boricua, or Division Street in Humboldt Park. The initiative is being organized by the Puerto Rican Cultural Center, or PRCC, which is providing free rent to vendors and artists to operate and try to develop their businesses. The mayo in that narration aside, give that segment a watch and check out the Mercado del Pueblo. I've been there before a number of times and bought a bunch of great stuff, so highly recommend you make it a part of your weekend. If you're in Chicago, it's located at the corner of Division and Rockwell in Humboldt Park on Paseo Boricua, of course. It's open from 4 to 8 p.m. on Fridays and 10.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays. Social distancing and face masks are required, so come prepared. Okay, that's everything. Let's jump into the interview with Naomi. Bienvenidos a todos. It is December 28th. We are recording episode. I really don't know because I haven't put together the schedule yet, but this is the Paseo podcast. Ultimately, even though we're recording this earlier than you're hearing it, we're happy that you're listening to it whenever, wherever you are. So thank you for downloading this episode. We have a very special international guest. We have Naomi Bonafu from London's Puerto Rican diaspora. I know there's a diaspora in London. Boricuas are everywhere. But beyond that, she's also an actress and an activist. So Naomi, very happy to have you on the Paseo podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's so exciting. Uh, yes, we're super excited to have you here. 
<laughs> there is a diaspora everywhere, Puerto Rican diaspora everywhere, indeed. Yes, I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, I've been in London for 12 years. I have ended up living in London for so long by accident. It has been great to be here for so long and to, I don't know, become an adult, a strong woman in London. That's happy cool. and blessed. Well, we're happy and blessed that you're on the show. For people yeah. listening, I saw this piece in, I believe, the Southwest Londoner. And it was talking about the Puerto Rican diaspora and their ability to organize, uh, especially around the Ricardo Rosselló protests, the Hurricane Maria, and the banner image on the article is Naomi doing like a, what's that, the rock, like the rock on symbol <laughs> with this like dope ass protest signs. There's banderas in the photo. So I'm like, okay, we got to figure out how to get this Latina on the show. So very happy that you're on the show today. Let's start with your roots. What part of Puerto Rico are you or and your family from? So, yes, I grew up in the south part of Puerto Rico, a very small town called Guayanilla. It's near Ponce, for those that are familiar with. It's a very small town, 6,000 people. And I grew up in a very, very small barrio, uh, they call it, uh, called Macana, surrounded by family. Um, they call the bit where I live Tierra Santa, Holy Land because everyone is religious. I grew up there surrounded by mango trees and waterfalls. <laughs> bueno, que bueno. Uh, what, uh, before we started recording, Naomi, I was asking you, because I think names are important, so I want to make sure if I'm going to pronounce a name, I want to know how it's pronounced properly, because I want to be respectful, right? I can't tell you with a name like Smizer de Leon, can't tell you how many people, I've heard Smizer in so many different, <laughs> so many yes. different versions. So when I saw Bonafou, I said, well, isn't that, that sounds like a French last name. What's the story behind that? And you mentioned that there's a connection to Haiti. So would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, these, oh, I'm a descendant of slavery. And my great, great, great grandfather came from Haiti to Puerto Rico when they were building the rails. So there he met my my great, great, great grandmother, who was an uh, iron woman. She used to iron for people. And yeah, so it's, the descendants is from Haiti, basically. Um, so I'm half Haitian, Caribbean, 100%. <laughs> In the article, it mentioned that you moved from Puerto Rico to London at age 27. I could never imagine leaving Chicago, let alone leaving an entire, leaving to another country. But it, it said in the article that you went to get your master's degree in physical theater. So I, I was just curious, like of all places in the world to go study, why London? Well, basically, I had an amazing time. When I went, when I left my small town, I went to the University of Puerto Rico and I trained there uh, to be an actor. I was part of the traveling theater company, the Teatro Rodante of the University of Puerto Rico. But there was always a concern for me to that my body wasn't really like engaged as I would have liked it to be. And I didn't have any dancing training and stuff. So I found this program in London that I would get an MFA, like a Master of Fine Arts, that would be from an American university, Naropa University in Colorado. But they had this cooperation with this school in London. So basically, I would get a master's in London, but I didn't have to go to the US. I will do it in London completely. And it was an international school. So when I heard about this, my friends were doing it and recommended it to me. So I thought this is the most amazing opportunity for me to train my body and also learn English and have this once in a lifetime opportunity. So I applied. The Insayas gave me the most amazing 
beautiful recommendation letter and it got accepted and then and that was it i didn't really thought about it much or or didn't really understood what i was getting myself into really? at the time <laughs> i was like yeah let's go to london right i'm always adventurous and i was a tv presenter at the time for wper like the government channel so i i walked away from that and walked away from everything i had and just came to london just like that uh, didn't really thought about it. I remember I saved like from commercials and adverts and jobs that I did. I saved like six thousand dollars that became three thousand pounds and just landed in London like a crazy lady. Six thousand dollars, which means three thousand pounds in your yeah. pocket. In my pocket. I'm just gonna go another I'm, country. I'm off, mom. I'm off. Mom wants to see you. <laughs> what did your family say when you say, hey, you know? Well, I'm a Taurus, so that means I always do what I want. <laughs> I'm stubborn. Okay. Once I've decided something, there's very little chance that I'm not going to do it. Whether I'm going to fall or not, I will do it. And so I stuck to the decision. Uh, my mom was like, I can't really support you. I'm, she's a teacher in Puerto Rico, you know, an arts teacher. And I remember I did a benefit kind of part. And my friends kind of like performed for me and it was so sweet in La Respuesta, which is like one of like the biggest venues for, and Fofito, the owner, he kind of like supported me, giving me the venue and, and my friend danced flamenco, there was stand-up comedy, music and everything. And it was like, so of like my farewell party and everyone was kind of like giving me a little bit of money for me to take with me. And it was, it was naive, but it was also the best experience I had, I've ever had because it really, I think that I think there is a thing about growing up in an island and never leaving. I never had holidays. My mom could never afford anything. I never left the island. So there is a sort of like a short mentality where once you open and you come to a cosmopolitan city like London is, where you know there's 900 dialects spoken here every single day. It's crazy the amount of the brain wideness and knowledge that you will get from touching down in London. It's crazy. So it has been a great experience, I have to say. Yeah, what a shift. What a change to go from the sun and yeah. plants and trees. I mean, you have all this greenery <laughs> around you to now this very like Eurocentric architecture, a very industrial, a gloomier skies, such a, a, a change. Yeah, even even the people as well. Like oh, I think yeah. the British, the British <laughs> humor yeah. at the beginning, I was like, oh, what do they mean? Like yeah. beggars yeah. can't be choosers. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, she called me a beggar. And it's like, it's yeah. no, it's how they speak. It's like the way. <laughs> it's, it's very much a, know, dry, like, a dry sense of humor. Completely. Yeah. And you're like, how are they so cold? I, I didn't understand anything. Yeah. Why people are so horrible. And it's like, it's not really, it's just the way they are. And I think I've become a bit of one of them as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally relate to that. I mean, I, lo I love British humor I, I like dry wit because i think my father was really like dry dry senses of humor yeah, um, yeah. british humor is so specific it's, it it's so to the point it takes a while I remember watching TV then I was like, how are they allowed to say this? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, so that's how I learned English as well, watching TV, like watching British humor and listening to David Bowie. Oh, and wow. and I was like, how are they how are they allowed to, to speak like this? And it's just it's just really like just come with it. Like don't feel too much, don't be emotional. You just appreciate this is not it's not great, you know. Like I understand you're emotional, but like cut it. <laughs> 
like you know yeah. and, and for Boricuas, we are so like oh our hearts God. are on our sleeves it's like total oh opposite i wear my heart on my sleeves and yeah. right now my my current boss is like he's very he speaks beautifully and he's very human and and he's british mm. i was talking to all the executive on a meeting that i had last week and i was like this is amazing. This is so refreshing. And he's like, yeah, but you are, but that's you. Like, that's your, that's how you are. It's like, yeah, I know. I've been here too long that when I see someone like that, I'm like amazed. <laughs> so you mentioned being in a meeting, talking with executives. What are you doing for a living now? So I'm a trained actor. At the moment, I do part-time acting because I'm a single mother. So I have to look after my daughter. I send her to private school. So that comes with, I mean, living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. I do acting on the side. I work as, I'm, a, I'm the executive assistant of, a, of the chief commercial officer of financial technology startup. I can only imagine, you know, coming to a new country you know, trying to find a community of your own. I mean, what was that like? It has been hard work. It has been definitely a journey. I had any job, every, every job. Mm -hmm. I've given away newspapers in the street on the cold. I've been a state agent. I've been a manager in hospitality. I've been a model, like an, an arts model. I've done the door of a club for two years like it was Jimi Hendrix job back in the day and I did that job for two years uh in this like by invitation only club so I was basically in charge of choosing who's gonna handpick who was gonna come into the club that, that was hard work I think what it has taken me from one job to a better job to a better job to a better and and have kind of cushioned myself into the city has been the person that being so personable and treating people with respect and giving the extra mile you know and i think that's very much to do with being puerto rican you know like being super welcoming and a yes person and so clients and people just steal me from jobs and take me to this other job and then someone steals me from here to take you to there they're like we need you here with us it's always because i know somebody if i go to let's say searching for a job website my probabilities of finding a job are like zero because my cv is so random that people are like what is she doing but it's like it's because I, I go like from hand to hand it has been like that mm -hmm. so it, although it has been difficult and I had to really really start from the bottom of the bottom of the bottom I was presenting a show on the Sunday in Puerto Rico and on the next Monday I was selling sandwiches on a bike in Canary Wharf like you cannot make this up this is like film worthy <laughs> and, and, I, and I didn't speak English or anything so you know I've been a tour guide in Spanish it's always been due to my personality and for being friendly that I always move to the next thing. But it really is very much like that in I find in this city is who you know. Yeah. I was just curious, thinking about, you know, 12 years back, you, you moved to London and your resume, your last job says your last job was in Puerto Rico. What was that experience like applying for jobs, like not knowing anybody? Like, what was mm -hmm. that first touch point? Did you feel like there was any like discrimination or did people just not want to give you a second look because they're like, Puerto Rico, what is? Yeah, there's certainly like a lot of discrimination and lots of like, there is this thing about being blue blood here, right? Yeah. Like yeah. about, and I encountered this in my last job I just had. Um, it was for a very well-known company, but only the people that were friends of friends of friends 
we'll get higher. Or you went to school together. So the, he's a member. I was in the members clubs of industry. So this is how it works. And maybe there is some people that didn't. And also people are like, what? why are you applying to be a retail person? You're a TV presenter, not qualified. Out of, uh, when in reality is that because I have had so much experience and, and resilience, I will pair up to whatever energy is needed from me. It's created some, so much awareness of observing, learning, doing whatever anybody else is doing immediately. I mean, the first job I had, it was recommended by a friend and it was just selling sandwiches in a bike and it was awful. And and I, and I then I found my other friend told me about this tourist guide in Spanish. So I did that, but it was unpaid. It was just based on tips. And I was really like, I was really under pressure because I didn't have a lot of money. So then, then I met somebody else and I recommended to do a hospitality job then I started in the hospitality industry once hospitality is easier because everybody wants a pretty girl whatever working in the bar but still like to get a good job in hospitality like the one I got before this job it was also I needed to get to know somebody that will introduce me to the person so my CV will go through I remember I applied to Soho House many times and I never got called only when I met somebody that put me in Soho House then I got into Soho House and that's how I, I got to this job that I'm now. So it's been a journey. I think there's a lot of people that will probably move and, and think, okay, after the few tr couple of tries, you know, okay, maybe yeah. it's not working out. So I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, maybe try something, try something different or move somewhere else or move back home. Perfect. I mean, you've been there 12 years, right? 12 years now? 12 years. Yeah. 12 years 12 now. Years. So what has made you stay? I know you, we talked about your resiliency and I mean, you got, yeah. you got a good job. I mean, what, what is like, what's keeping you there? <laughs> well, I was I was I misquoted. <laughs> I was uh, no no no. People tell me all the time, "What are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? Puerto Rico? What are you doing here?" Yeah. <laughs> I am a single mom, as I mentioned before, and I met my daughter's dad. And so we got married back there and came here to spend a little time here. And then I got pregnant and then we moved to a small town in England for where he was from. And it was, this was a detriment to my soul completely. Mm -hmm. And I had to go back home. Uh, and at this point I knew that relationship wasn't working. So we went home and I saw how what the dynamic of him being there was, which was no, no fluent. <laughs> and so I decided that we're, we're, we were going to break up. I knew that. And so because I really, you know, I was enjoying being back home and seeing my daughter growing up there. But I realized that maybe it's just fair to go to the place where we met and just try London because it's just there. So came here and the process of getting divorced started, etc. A lot has happened. And I really like my the relationship they have mm -hmm. and how which is was just it's a, just a small sacrifice, but it was a tough decision. At the same time, I'm I am happy. I feel accomplished. Uh, London is kind of like my city now. And I feel I'm too foreign to be there, too foreign to be here. It's just like this <laughs> citizen of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've been taking lots of big steps. You move from Puerto Rico to London. You're like, I'm a single mom. I'm going to kick ass at this. Watch me. Um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't been easy, no. no but... I, I, um, I think I was a very high achiever, you know. When I was 28, I was done with my master's. I lived in 
London and and then motherhood happened and and that really transformed my life and I have done things that I've never thought I would be able to or, or capable of even now we are like me and my daughter we have a relationship a beautiful relationship it's almost like Gilmore Girls to have this perfect top of the tree daughter angel yeah. smart wise and we are like soul sisterhood solid and we help each other out. And I think I think London is a good place to be. I'm really um, happy during this pandemic that I was in London because the support system, the social system that they have, uh, me working in hospitality at the time, it was amazing because we were really protected by the system. And I am very, very grateful that we were here because it would have been a real struggle to be anywhere else. Everything is a confirmation as well, always. You know, mm-hmm. this has been a confirmation that this is where we need to be. What's the pandemic? been like overall for you i don't think that people listen too much of it like Mm -hmm. to be honest people go to the shop they wear the mask Mm -hmm. you see like if you stand outside a supermarket you see people like (laughs) taking their masks off Mm -hmm. as soon as they're out the the door like the same in public transport and stuff and so there is um, i don't know uh, the people are very irreverent towards the whole thing to be honest and i mean it's not surprised that is is we are the we were late closed uh here the, the late it's too close in Europe. Basically, Boris Johnson is just, he, he cares about the economy, basically. He's just like trying to protect the economy as much as possible. London was doing very well, and now it's all com- completely, uh, you know, scrapped. And also they have for low skin, which is like you get paid 80% of your wages. If you have a company, you can furlough your employees. So basically the government will pay 40 or 50% of your wages and the employee will pay the other. But the government will give money to the employee too. To, to do so and there's a lot of industries that have been furloughed I was I was furloughed most of the year and because I'm a single mother I had some help to pay my rent as well um, so this is monthly a lot of help that everybody has been getting so for them because it's a socialist sort of like system mm-hmm. it has cost a lot of money more than I mean I know Donald Trump and everyone was complaining about giving people $600 I mean I've received 1.5k every month from the government throughout the whole pandemic (laughs) that's like i'm laughing and i'm laugh crying right now i'm laugh crying because it's just it's ridiculous that we have that you're I mean, not that you're getting it. It's ridiculous that we, our government hasn't done the same for us. I've seen... Yeah, I've the seen richest the richest country in the world. The richest country in the world, right? right. Apparently. Yeah, right, apparently. I mean, it's here, it's on the government. And I, and I know lots of people complain about Boris, but at the same time, he has tried to save the economy. I'm not pro-Boris or anything, but like, yeah. he has tried to save the economy at the same time as they are also giving a lot of people help. Mm-hmm. They have also got made terrible mistakes, like telling musicians to retrain. They haven't supported the theater industry. They haven't supported the music industry. But there is a lot of support. There has been a lot of support for people. I mean, for parents, for single parents. I mean, I am extremely grateful. We will be on the streets yeah. because if it, it, like, yeah. And I had to, I had to quit my job to get go to this other job. But I will still be in furlough until March if I didn't quit my job. The people that argue against things like stimulus checks, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's such a weird mentality to have. God forbid the people that pay their taxes get assistance for what they pay into. 
It doesn't yeah. make any sense. I, I don't. It's, I don't this is not a present from them. It's not a present, darling. Oh. It's like it's literally you pay for it. Yeah. It's the same with the uh, with the Puerto Rican situation as well with the hurricane and stuff. Yeah. It's like people, oh, but they are helping. No, 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 no. They're not helping. You paid for this. Right. You paid for this. You paid for this for years. All that we all the taxes that we pay. This is money that is that you are entitled to, and the government have got to do it. They have not handled the pandemic correctly, certainly not. But at the same time, like this is a the, the socialist democratic country where they have to. We pay a lot of taxes for it. And you have got to come together and put a solution for the people. Right. And I know lots of people complain, but like really compared to what I see my family and friends getting, I there is a lot of support. Yeah. Do you think uh, Boris getting COVID changed his me- mentality or was the government always providing support? There was there was no chance they would not be able yeah. to not, not support. So if everyone become homeless, you go to the office there and they have to provide you with a house. This is not like America. If I am a single mother and I go to the, to the Greenwich Council where I live and I say I have nowhere to live, they have to provide accommodation. Wow. So they don't want the monsters to get bigger. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause, but no se muevan porque when we come back, we're going to talk to Naomi about connecting with other Puerto Ricans in London, what brought the community together, what it's like keeping up with what's going on in Puerto Rico being so far away, and a whole lot more. Stay with us. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. that like finding Boricuas in the diaspora in, in, in England? Yeah, so it's a very funny story because I didn't. In the beginning, I didn't. I was I was immersed in this course and then I went back to home. Then I became a mother. And then I was like all alone living in this small town and the Olympics happened, mm-hmm. the 2012 Olympic. And my friend, Jorge Rodriguez Fish, who is a filmmaker, and he was sort of like directing the whole T-Mobile operation, T-Mobile Puerto Rico, operation in london that they were they took they sponsored the athletes and he was sort of like in charge of making clips for to sort of like edit and send to la isla 
And so he invited me to this party in London, um, the Olympic sede of Puerto Rico. They invited me to this party and there was Colson there, everybody, all the, all the people from the Olympics delegation, all the athletes were there. And he invited me to this party. And there I met a lot of Puerto Ricans that lived in London. Like, and I met Claudia, which is like my Puerto Rican mother or big sister that I have here. She's from Utuado. She's a lawyer. And we check on each other all the time. We cook together. Whoever comes, we go to town and meet them. And it has, it's really beautiful because she's really my closest friend, one of my closest friends and like literally the backbone of, of me being here, being a single mom. She's also a single mom of two kids. We both divorced British men. We're like, no more, no more. <laughs> 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 No bad rap to the Brits, but I'm not marrying one anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, so I met her and we were both breastfeeding. There was three mojitos in the bar. Uh, we were like, shall we have one? And it was just forever. Uh, we met there. Then I, I got to hang out with some of them. And then and then that was it. I made contact with Claudia and then we left it there really because we were all busy. It was not only until Huracan Maria happened that I made with other colleagues that we met there. We sort of like got together to make this page in order to find Puerto Ricans in the UK because we were going to do a benefits party and we wanted to, you know, access as much as many Puerto Ricans as possible. So we made, we did a lot of meetings to, uh, to, for this party. I mean, when Maria happened, I was extremely confused. My mom, uh, who lives in the south of the island, uh, lost the roof of her house. I didn't have contact with her for 10 days i was writing on facebook to anybody that has got that knows can go to guayanilla does anyone here can they can have anyone heard anything about and it was really a very difficult moment my friend came over from italy literally to take my daughter because i was in the window on the phone like lost i was imagining all sorts of terrible things there was nothing in the news nothing anywhere and so it was really i was really touched by this experience and i, I received so much kind from friends and people from here like sending my mom money on six so for her to fix her house and and I thought you know what we gotta give something back and we did this party I used to work in Soho at the time so I used to go to Ronnie Scott's sometimes for una bailaita and Ronnie Scott's is one of these venues that is like jazz so like venues is one it's a very well-known venue in London and I met all these uh, amazing musicians from Cuba Venezuela Brazil, all these people I, I met from Soho, and they were so kind. This music, Eliane Correa from Cuba, she brought her band, and, and lots of people came to support us into the event that we did at the O2 in London. It was amazing. I ended up organizing it all by myself in the end because everybody was busy, and they were my friends after all. So <laughs> I had to coordinate everything. So it was really nice. A lot of work, yeah. But it was, it was fun. It was such a pleasure to do. And then we ended up giving all the money to Dyer Salud, which was a charity in Loisa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they support uh, mothers, women in general. They did amazing, an amazing work in Maria. And so we gave all the money to this grassroots uh, charity. So that's what started this all, Hurricane and Maria. And that's it. Then this wow. page exists. And then we meet sometimes. At that time, we had, there's no Puerto Rican restaurant in London. Can you believe? What? So... 
I know. Not Connor. even one? That's a company in America. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's no Puerto Rican restaurant in London. So we used to meet at this restaurant from Dominican Republic in North London. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut, they made pasteles for us. We spent a crazy night there listening to Bad Bunny and, and drinking Mama Juana. So that's it. Whenever something happens, we're like, yo, let's do, let's meet. Then we got together to do Ricky Renuncia protest as well. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Because it seemed like everybody, all the all the little pockets of the diaspora throughout the United States were having their own marches and protests in solidarity with Laila. What was that like in London? It was, these protests were all over the world. I saw yeah, someone in yeah. Japan protesting. Like, it was everywhere. Yes. So basically, because we have now this vehicle of this Facebook page, I posted this thing on the page. Guys, ¿qué pasa? What are we doing? Like, we need to meet. And then we arranged to meet in front of the major, the town hall in London. And we posted it there. And then lots of people started arriving in pavas and banderas. And we were like, I was like, I had no idea that our convocation, like it was going to go so far. But we were like 20 something people there. Um, And I think that was huge for London. And (laughs) and everyone, oh my God, vea, recoge a tu marido. Hasta Ikea tiene mejores gabinetes there. There's the signs, even IKEA has better cabinets. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. They're, they're so creative, the signs that people came up to. Putano, putisima. It was so funny. And yeah, we just met there. People were like, what? What's their problem? Like, what are they protesting? What? <laughs> what, what are they doing? To see all these protests happening throughout the world, I mean, solidarity, you know what I mean? It was just a beautiful moment. It's, it was just like, what, you are not disrespecting us like that you right. know like i'm so sorry little boy little boy like go back to marista and you're not disrespecting us like that and it's like it's like i think there is something so very special about being puerto rican and i'm so proud and i can never ever ever disconnect myself from this and it's, it's and it's like this thing of oh, I'm going to have your back i am going to support you and i think to see that in maria to help that was beautiful but to see that to get this guy that was disrespecting everybody together the whole world that oh puerto ricans that you didn't know it was incredible to see everyone in japan i see someone like i saw a picture of people in japan puerto ricans in japan protesting everywhere in the world and the people that you did, i didn't even know that were here so many were so many and i think and i think you're inspiring me so much with this el Paso because of how much more is to be done and and to do this to do this charity to keep continuing this charity i think it's something to keep doing it because there's so many it's very inspiring to to keep this going because once you do the convocation like the people did arrive they did they did came and there is um, and we are many and very high skilled force too as well very capable people very intelligent people people that are here because they are smart and they have managed to get a good job and have a good life in a in such a big one of the most expensive cities in the world so that says a lot oh definitely what's it like as a as a community of puerto ricans in london like you mentioned there weren't any puerto rican restaurants that is blasphemy there should be a puerto rican restaurant in every city in the world (laughs) i mean hello (laughs) i want a royal habichuela i have to cook it Uh, 
man. There is very little culinary ex uh, experiences here in London. Anytime that I have anything, I cook something Puerto Rican just because, I mean, Dia de Reyes or something, even not sure when I did something and I had my neighbor's downstairs came over because we're so sort of like in the same bubble that like we see each other anyway, touch the same doors, we leave the houses the same. So I was like, guys, come up, like, let's have some Puerto Rican dinner. And they were like, oh my God, I definitely would have some sort of like yeah. some clientele yeah. but yeah no. i feel like <laughs> if there's any one dish that you can win people over with on the puerto rican menu it's arroz con gandules like, like so you mentioned like getting together for protests you know getting together for little meetups are there puerto rican festivals there or puerto no. rican events or is there a neighborhood where there's a lot of puerto ricanos or is no. it just kind of Nope, nope, so random. It's really, there is a lot of Latino community yeah. in yeah. Elephant and Castle. But to be honest, I don't feel like, I don't feel like a Latino immigrant here. I yeah. don't, yeah. I don't, I have assimilated so much. Mm -hmm. I even got a job where I am probably, far, I am the only Spanish speaker so far, mm -hmm. like that speaks Spanish. And, and they have hired me because of this, because I speak Spanish and Portuguese. Yeah. So I don't really feel like, because I married a British guy, so all my friends were British and are, a lot of my friends are British as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter is British. I have a friend from Bolivia, like a little sister that they go to school together. Mm -hmm. My daughter's school is, is there is a base of Latin, Latino community, but really no, I'm like an exotic bird here, like where I say Puerto Rico, people are like, why are you doing here? Oh my God, can I touch your hair? And it's like, uh -huh. it's, it's really, it's a very alienated experience to be honest like i wish there was a community i wish there was a, a restaurant even or, or anything but no there isn't we have a little puerto rican group of friends one of them now moved to ibiza so we meet like let's say on christmas period or something we go to a dominican republic restaurant and kind of like or somewhere mexican to drink some margaritas whatever like or eat tacos something that is a bit latino but like i don't i don't really feel like there is a sort of like a community where we can and I think we need to work on that. How many uh, Boricuas do you think there are in, in England or in London? There was more. Lois have left. So yeah. I would say, up to my knowledge, like five. Wow, that's small. Ten What tops. are some of the ways that you maintain your connection to Puerto Rico being so far away? I can't manage to disconnect myself from it. And even in the elections lately, I was really like, Naomi, stop. You can't even vote. It's so sad. And I can't even, I can't disconnect. I just can't. It's just yeah. not, it's, it's just not possible. I can't really, I can't really explain how it's, it's just, it's just really close to my heart. From afar, I do as much as possible to open people's eyes. And for Puerto Ricans to understand that how important is to break from this colonized, colonized mentality because being a colony is so much deeper than just being a colony and unless you have the experience of, of going out and meeting other people and gaining confidence yourself and, and realizing that really you are your own island only then you realize that all of them can be their own island and it's just hard to explain in words but I understand it so clearly how we could benefit so much from using our own resources. Perhaps the industry where I work in, like 
how great could it be to build a technology startup from an island? You just need a strong, non-corrupted government, a good uh, solar-powered, <laughs> a good solar-powered energy, and good internet internet connection, and you can build a, a monster from there. There's so many possibilities that they can do if they were allowed to do free commerce and didn't have the Jones Law and all these things. That it's just the people don't realize how much better off you could be. Like here, like mm -hmm. if we have a rich government, you explore the let's say cannabis uh, in. Industry. You explore the technology right. industry, you explore other things, then you pump all that money into tourism and education and uh, get at a great university. And it's over for everybody else because still, with people, Puerto Rican people are very smart, very resilient, definitely extremely creative. I know I don't live there, and probably people say, if you don't live there, if you want Puerto Rico to be free, like, why don't you come and live here? Yeah, but my intention is not living off the, off the government, never. And I think we can achieve so much. Build a social system, a good education system, and a good industry. We can create industries, and there's so much uh, possibilities. I go a little bit back and forth where I'm like, okay, can we make this relationship work? Is it possible? Yeah. And then the more yeah. I see the United States' outlook towards Puerto Rico from a policy perspective, from the way it's talked about in the media. I mean, when we had Hurricane Maria, you had people in the United States not knowing that Puerto Ricans were U.S. citizens. To me, I'm like, well, if what's the point of the relationship then? If it's not if it's not equitable, if you're not you're not investing in the success of a colony that you have as a country. Well, what's the point of having us around? Yeah, just stay there. Just keep it quiet. It's not a colony. It's a commonwealth. Right. It's not a commonwealth. Come on. It's not. My dad went to a war that we didn't vote for. Everything from the Spanish-American War, you know, the Puerto Rico was on its own track to independence before the United States invaded mm -hmm. and decided, no, this is ours now. You're under our United States umbrella. To so like what you said, the Jones Act, it affects your ability to import, export products. One policy after another that's meant to oppress any type of free thinking, organizing, anything that would help for the betterment of the Puerto Rican people is shunned they and have. said, you don't know what you're talking about. We do. Here's the policy we're putting. And next thing you know, we're in a reality where we have an oversight board that tells us how to handle our money. It really has a ripple effect, these policies. And yeah. when you're so far from removed and don't prioritize a place that you claim to have as a part of your country, I mean, again, what's the point yeah. of the relationship? Even the the help with the with the Maria. I mean, how much was that they approved? There was a, a like twenty billion. The junta mm -hmm. just approved two percent or something like that, like crazy. Yeah. And we pay for this. They're not giving you this for free. We right. pay more taxes than the actual American people. Don't realize yeah. what we pay. And what we get right. is not equal. It's nowhere near equal. Right. We give and we don't get back. You're, you're speaking truth. I mean, a good example here is we, in the United, when you're living in the United States, you pay into things like Medicare, Medicaid. And if you are ever in need of that, you're getting those full benefits. In Puerto Rico, they pay the same amount as we do. You only receive a small percentage of that back. 
In what world does that make sense? And a country that's built on the whole idea of revolution based on no taxation without representation, and there's no representation for Puerto Rico in our United States. In the Congress. Congress. Besides, you know, one... The Commissionado, yeah. who is Republican, yeah, and she's just... there. She goes there. She She's with them, and she's not allowed to speak. Imagine how, how Stockholm Syndrome is this. And I go crazy when I go to Puerto Rico. Like I live in London, and I find an avocado is cheaper than when I go to Puerto Rico. And I have a tree in my garden. How is this possible? We have to, in the diaspora, we have to leave Puerto Rico yeah. to the United States in order to vote on the future of our home. So you have to leave your home in order to vote on the future of your home. But you can't go back to your home because then you can't just you don't have a, a voice in the future of it. So it's just like this weird paradox of almost suffering and feeling like you're just speaking into the void and people with power don't really care. And I had a very funny experience when uh, when Maria happened and I had a lot of American clients. At that time I was, I was doing the door at the Jimi Hendrix job mm-hmm. and I was I had two jobs and, and both of them, all the Americans that came uh, uh, to the restaurants in the members club were like, I'm so sorry. Can I help you? Like, are you okay? Does your mom need anything? Like, please let me know. Like, I, I was like, oh, guys, it's, it's not you, is it? It's, it's just, uh, and when Trump did the, the paper towel thing, and, and, and still, and still there's people that support him, Puerto Ricans that still support him. Like, after he saw this, and people here, the people obviously well-traveled, cultured Americans, that obviously know the political situation, that are here, that are probably visiting on business or whatever, they are like apologizing to me for what he did and asking how is everybody in. And Puerto Ricans don't realize that. If you're in the island, you don't realize that. If you're in an island, you're brought PNP and you're a abuelos PNP and you go there and you just think, and you don't realize how bad it is. And they're you supporting someone that is really messing you up. There's a lot of millennials and a lot of like young people. These people, these guys, are very, very much capable of running the country. The Peru, the Ayubi, they are very much capable of doing it. And just wait, because it's only going to get better. Because there's all this old mentality, all this old education that they gave people back in the day when they were killing Albizu, when they were Romero Barcelona, and all this, all this bad education that they got based on fear. This is over. This is finishing. It's just a generation remaining of old people, and there, there is a lot of this. There's lots of young people that are pretty much up for the job. That are amazing. That have got great ideas. That have a lot of hope that there is a new island, a new country. That and and call me hopeful or anything, but I'm putting my money on those kids. <laughs> I do want to finish out our time together with a couple things. I'm starting this new question with all of our guests, like our segment. There's no name for it, but it's just about hearing anything that you're reading, watching, obsessed with right now. Ideally, something that has to do with Puerto Rican culture, but it doesn't have to be that. You know, what are some things that you're obsessed with right now? I am watching this documentary, Rompan Todo, which yes. is the story of rock and roll in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And it's 
very amazing that their rock and roll and their history of music have been based on political decisions mm. and that the music has responded to dictatorships and vice versa and and I am not surprised that Puerto Rico was not included into this journey because we have always kind of like emulated the American model where they were experimenting a lot with the status quo politically so it was really I, i've been thinking about it a lot like oh my god obviously like they have struggled they have lost people they do brother have disappeared and all that has been a very sad stories but this is this is like we are a colony pretty much and we are not part of this latin american history of rock yet uh, although there is an ama there is an amazing artist and art made in Puerto Rico and I know there's a lot of underground bands that have done their bits and it's incredible and I'm always supportive of everybody I'm like oh my god yeah we missed out we are the only colony that has never been liberated we're the only island that we are the only ones who have never been freed and that reflects in so many things art included break it totally recommended because it's beautiful but it's also like it's also so linked to the political situation that it made me give me so many mixed feelings of being sad about mm -hmm. us missing out but also i don't know how we could have been more influenced but so like i don't it's a, it's a big question out there it's very interesting to see vote yeah. to have some type so of say in the future not of... missing out how can our listeners keep up with you you have a web Website, social media channels. Yes, yeah, so there is only one Naomi Bonafu, so everywhere. <laughs> Not being funny, but it's true. <laughs> so yeah, everywhere. Just Naomi Bonafu, tweets, Instagram, Facebook, all social media is always Naomi Bonafu. Beautiful. Well, Naomi Bonafu, thank you so much for being on the Paseo podcast. Oh my God, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks to Naomi Bonafu for being on the show today. As a reminder, you can watch our interview with Naomi on our YouTube channel this Monday. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. Stay tuned next week and the weeks after when we'll share interviews with Boricuas like public relations pro Daniela Velasquez, reporter and friend of the show Justin Agrello, uh, to talk about his recent reporting on Chicago's housing crisis and how that's affecting the Latina population, among other great guests we'll have in the coming weeks. Uh, again, just really appreciate y'all downloading this. And as a gentle reminder and a little call to action, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or even share a new story you'd like us to discuss on the show, visit our website, paseomedia.org, to do just that. See you next week. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, Connect with us by visiting our website, paseomedia.org, emailing us at paseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at paseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate.